Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. Hi, very well. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. And I will quickly set the framework that is uh, we'll have the five minute Israel uh, highlighting stage specific annals. And then we will uh, engage in a bit of discussion and some questions, and hopefully you have the chance to ask questions here or online. So the task of the discussion, discussion is to look at the 24-7 connectivities of different sources, uh, requirements, what uh, solutions are being provided, uh, and also the jet directors in the cyber space. And indeed, the main mission that our defense senses had, and you know, the main dose of energy concept is deterrence and defense. So it's not just abstract connectivity, but actually to make sure that our societies remain safe and at peace. So when we look at peace, crisis, and conflict, we are at peace, and our task is to ensure that that stays unchanged. So the 5G network, of course, has been a total game changer, uh, also in the defense sector, and uh, the solutions that are being worked on uh, between between the industry and the military also benefit civilian sectors. For example, we have threat detection using drones and sensors, uh, data analytics to, to, to decide on those threats. We have advanced situation analytics, mission management systems, enhanced critical communication abilities, and so on and so forth. So there is a variety of different angles where the skill over from um, all the research, development, experimentation, testing, exercising will benefit society as such. For that to be successful, both in that critical wishes of deterrence and defense, obviously we need the private and public sector working together. That's why we have such a great mix today here. My first question will go to the state sector on its persons on the strategic necessity of connectivity. What are the requirements that you are setting for the, for the providers, for those who are working with the defense of this? Oh, thank you, Baba. You've asked them on, uh, I think, as I think uh, all of them uh, this panel with not the expert on uh, on uh, 5G technology side, uh, but nevertheless, I'm one to represent uh, the SMR and who have to pro, uh, set up the requirements uh, and I'm, uh, as a, we call the Zingma Southern Machine Guard, as a National Guard, I, I, I didn't do some things. But I, I actually, I, I probably will uh, uh, mention four important uh, issues uh, from the side of the um, uh, military, uh, what I think uh, is very important, uh, especially when we also considering uh, 5G and um, uh, networks, uh, communication in general. One, I would say it's uh, uh, redundancy, uh, because uh, um, as we see in NWF, uh, we have to have at least several options to communicate. That um, I, I think the most uh, problematic uh, case when you have one uh, one uh, option of communication and one it's suddenly uh, you lose this uh, option. On it. Of course, they always can go to the bicycle so, uh, or uh, physical communication, but still, I think that's... Uh, 5G uh, provides a good option for redundancy for backup, and actually, um, and then the second so for my point is also uh, which relates to the first is that I would call it unplugging, uh, because basically, uh, as we see, you know, so um, in uh, Ukraine where we see the real conventional war, and that is in this difference, uh, that is. Uh, uh, you uh, you have to basically disappear uh, once you use specific military uh, military communication. It's very easy to uh, basically to uh, detect you, and uh, and once you switch to the ordinary uh, communication, which is used uh, widely by by general public, it's very difficult actually to spot you and uh, to uh, identify. Uh, the third point uh, this is affordability. Because uh, I think we generally in the military, we went somewhere in the direction uh, of high test uh, uh, and uh, developing um, uh, technologies which are very costly. We have uh, actually the equipment which costs uh, uh, millions of millions. Uh, 
And then we have uh, communication, uh, military communication is probably the most important part of that. And uh, okay, that's just okay when we send the Landatai into uh, Afghanistan uh, and we could cover those costs. But then it has to uh, basically uh, deploy and uh, and defend our country with uh, uh, of soldiers, then it's not okay because then you more uh, to provide the basic things. I think that uh, very important issue because we have to have uh, very simple and cheap equipment, and I think it's um, we see that necessity in Ukraine. And the last thing uh, I would say, this is a general, um, uh, in, in, and in latest case, we have to defend our country. We are not planning to go somewhere outside uh, or neither to, you know, those countries uh, where, uh, for mission. And therefore, we will use our own terrain, we will use our um, uh, territory. And therefore, while Chi general provides very good base um, uh, for connecting um, many things, many uh, basic for intelligence warning, for for you know putting in different sensors and basically helping to to have the good operational picture and also basically to stop the enemy as as uh, uh, you know to as close to the border as possible. That would be my uh, my points as uh, somebody who puts requirements uh, of future force. On the evidence, the four concrete points. Um, I will now move on to the industry side, and then the last speaker will be uh, our CCNOE colleague, um, Ingmars. Uh, LRT since 2020 already, together with National Armed Forces, has established a 5G testing site in an actual military base, which is multinational accepting to be outside domain, you know, everything that NATO uh, sort of requires. What, what can you tell us uh, to the audience here and online on, on what have been the most significant uh, sort of solutions developed, whether on medical, virtual reality or, or other issues? And, and what do you advise to the others? Thank you. First of all, a little bit, maybe a little uh, one step back, probably there are many people from the Tetelic communication world here to set the context. Why do we, as a very civilian company, doing our nice job with bringing voice and internet, what are we doing in the military base? So the whole point here is that uh, for many years now, we are trying to invest our money, time and resources to understand what would be the future sense of the 5G technology, because solving simple things with broadband is uh, not top uh, top priority for us, because since we've, did, we've done this homework with the 4G and we are decent player in fixed wireless access here in Latin market already with the 4G technology. So the 5G brings all these, allegedly, brings all these super cool future possibilities no one has actually seen. So so that's why we are trying to invest together with partners. And one of the great partners has been our armed forces and the Ministry of Defense actually to build out the ecosystem. And actually one of the objects and efforts was to actually set out first European 5G test site for testing the tactical applications for 5G technology. Uh, and and, and we've done many things. We are looking into many areas. Uh, last year, for particular, we were uh, looking into the combination of... Um, for, so the army does not just... They don't just do war. So the, for hopefully, for most of the time, or, 19, or hopefully 100% of the time, they're doing activities other than war. That would be training, logistics, and many things else. So in that sense, army... And any military base is much more alike and manufacturing or logistical activity. So all the things we are been fantasizing about digital twins and sensors and everything else will very much apply just as well to the army. And, and the complexities of managing stocks and everything else is there. One of the use cases we were looking into was actually uh, training. So is it actually possible to have many teams from different areas participating in in and in, uh, in, in different geographical locations participating in the same train training in some vi uh, some virtual space. Last year we were um, conducting. Um, is it possible that a soldier with the support of augmented reality can he maintain complex military equipment without a prior uh, training? That was based on true story, based on ex experience from Afghanistan when there was a complex equipment broken down so it took like many weeks to bring in some specialists from Europe to actually fix it so is it solvable and this year we are finally 
focusing on actual mesh networks and bubbles. So can you can you place a, a little private uh, 5G network on a, on a military vehicle? Can he has his own private network moving uh, moving around? And all the cascade of uh, functionalities which brings, I mean, use of different frequencies. Can you actually camouflage not only in the city area? Does use of different frequencies can ca ca camouflage you just because of the uh, their physical properties? Uh, all the solutions of positioning uh, that you can actually have a substitute for GPS uh, systems and so on. So, so there are quite a lot of things uh, that 5G can bring to the table for the military, and, and this is a function of of NATO being again interested in civilian technologies, which wasn't the case some years ago. There was a clear gap between the military tech and civilian technology and all the recent theaters around the world that show that uh, adversaries are actively using very cheap, very affordable civilian technology to disrupt our, our, our forces. So NATO, I think, is much more interested these days in, in what civilian technology can bring to the table. Absolutely, that is what I can confirm. And actually in the NATO warfighting capstone concept, which is for 2040, the Allied Command Transformation, you work with them. The, the sort of digital transition and the whole civil military resilience parts and, and the ability to provide those multi-domain operations uh, involve c uh, civil and commercial operators in a systemic way. Um, I will now turn to Philip Agard from Nokia. Philip, you've been working with LMT, but you've been also involved in, in using the opportunities both at NATO, but also in the EU Defence Fund for moving ahead with these big changes that are needed in, in sort of streamlining the private and, and public sector work in, in the defense sector. Would you like to, to tell us a few words what have been the most significant developments? Yes, thank you, absolutely. So, so indeed, Nokia has been active in the defense uh, sector since many decades because we are providing dual-use technologies like IP optics backbone for connecting uh, the army bases, for example. But now, definitely, since NATO in particular has identified 5G and 6G as one of those nine emerging disruptive technologies, so it's become a lot of conversations, a lot of opportunity to explain and identify the proper use cases. And I think, uh, as Ingmar stressed, the use case span the whole spectrum of activities where defense is active. So it goes from the strategic domain, the army bases themselves. It goes to the operational domain where, where you deploy your distributed headquarters, your mobile command course, and it goes to the tactical edge. So it's really important to engage on those three domains. And, and in fact, you have family of use cases. And for example, in the army base, as was is permanently shown in uh, ADAT-Z base, this is more the smart base. Then you have experimentations like the one which will happen next week, where this is more to study how does it help on the battlefield. And then even on the tactical edge, you have a lot of conversations on how you put 5G on infantry vehicles. So you see, we have really across the whole chain of operations of a military uh, institution, you can have use cases for 5G. And as a way to go deep into each of them, we, we are really uh, excited to leverage tools like the European Defense Fund, which is exactly putting together the, the big uh, industry defense contractors, the technology providers like the Nokias and others from the industry, and also the startups, we should not forget this is an ecosystem play. This is not at all a one company show. It's an ecosystem play. And, and to really study, discuss, and demonstrate the use case across each of these three domains. So I think we have, uh, and, and this is already mature somehow, because in the experimentations you are doing, you already have the test center. There are already capabilities, like, you know, 5G is already available as a backpack, you know, less than eight kilo uh, tool. So, I think it's it's time to study, but also time to put in use. And and I think it is perfectly perfectly matching the four challenges that was expressed by the Minister of Defence. Very good. Thank you very much. And I'm very pleased to have Samsung on the panel, uh, even though represented by by our Swedish colleague. <laughs> <laughs> and um, indeed, some something coming from South Korea is where South Korea is one of the closest partners that NATO has in Asia Pacific and with its own challenges in the region that are global challenges and also global threats with regard to cyber, hybrid and other attacks. And and something has been a prominent player in that regard, uh, working, working within the region, but also now much more prominent in Europe. 
but also on specific solutions, specific technology solutions and providers. Can you highlight some of those that you feel are very uh, relevant to the theme of the discussion? Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you very much. So, yeah, so um, so I represent Samsung, and uh, uh, one of the things that we are paying a lot of attention on now and really working with is Open RAN, uh, which is a new way of building networks where you come together in an ecosystem to take the best of breed components and essentially build very high performing cost efficient solutions. Now that applies very much in the um, public networks during peacetime, but it can also apply in military uh, situations. So uh, we are, are working with a, a number of different initiatives. So since I am based in Korea, I can talk a little bit about that. So, uh, so Korea has since a number of years, a tactical network deployed for military use. Uh, it's run by the armed forces. Uh, that is Vimax based at this point in time. We are, uh, there are planning discussions as to how to upgrade that to go into 5G to also use low orbit satellite connections to have this um, resilience in case of something happens. Um, also recently there was an announcement uh, between uh, the US and Korea to collaborate on 5G for operations. Um, and uh, as, as Samsung will be a provider for that uh, to deploy. And, and as was also mentioned here, it is, uh, you know, there's a peacetime uh, utilization of this, you know, to build coverage and private networks for bases that can then uh, connect to, to a public network for coverage outside of, of, of that private network. Uh, but there's also um, more of a battlefield uh, use case where you can build tactical bubbles so you can have networks deployed on vehicles so you can quickly deploy uh, a high capacity network uh, to be able to uh, provide that capacity that you will need if you run unmanned vehicles and the like right so there's a lot of different things that needs to come together here so you have the tactical radios traditionally and you know they have their uses and, and, and advantages but they don't have a lot of capacity to provide a good video stream, for example, back to uh, you know uh, control uh, centers, and and also uh, as you mentioned before, uh, they can you know more easily perhaps be identified. So in fact, on that part, so that's a network issues, but there's also a device part of this, right? So another part that is important is uh, to make sure these devices are actually uh, you know adjusted for military use. Uh, we're working with that. We have a tactical edition uh, of those devices where the special software makes sure that it can connect to other equipment that you have in the field, uh, that it can uh, make sure that it goes completely silent, which is not the case in, in airplane mode, for example. You need to remove all the radio uh, emissions if you are in a, you know, in, in a covert operation, for example, right? And, and other things uh, as well. So we're working with that part as well. So we have both the network part and the device part. And I think it's equally important to make those those uh, mm. go together. Absolutely. And um, uh, the question, Mati, the, the, we have all these various devices connecting to each other. We have the sensors, we have the individual soldiers uh, with a variety of devices. We have new entrance points, you know, providing data, uh, collecting data, analyzing data. How do we ensure cybersecurity? How do we ensure cyber defense uh, that has to be there permanently? And what can this center, cybersecurity center, cyber defense center of excellence in Tallinn help the private sector do? Trying to add up to what's already been said, then uh, let's remind ourselves what is the world we are living in right now. Uh, uh, the physical threats are, you know, they, you can picture it and, and post it and, and it's, it's uh, visible and, and, and um, digestible for, for masses. But uh, cyber threats are quite often like uh, un unseen. They are not visible to regular people on street. But actually the uh, number of attacks in the cyberspace has raised over the last years, not in some percentages, but in multiples. And it's not peaking just like before some event, uh, but it's constantly there, and that's the new reality. So, so let's not forget that uh, that's the, that's uh, that's around us. It's invisible, but it's there, and it's a totally a different uh, world we are living now, in, from that domain. 
Center of Excellence uh, for Cyber Defense um, uh, is a more than 10 years old organization headquartered in Tallinn, but we have actually then uh, uh, 30 member nations across NATO allies plus uh, five, uh, no, nine, I guess it was, uh, supporting members from... Third, non- one NATO member. From 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 no no NATO um, uh, allies as well and uh, and uh, the way the center works is basically we have a rotation of of uh, resources from allies uh, based on which we we focus on on cybersecurity aspects. Uh, if uh, just a couple of words more about the center, uh, uh, we have our own events, um, uh, which is like a Psycon uh, conference happening yearly. It's an international one. Uh, Last year, there were 600 participants uh, purely focused on cyber defense. And uh, then we have like our exercises, uh, lock shields, uh, cross swords, etc., where we then also, uh, all, all, all in all, these events, they, they serve for raising awareness and, and raising our, our capability to deal in this environment. Now, uh, most recently, we know that, um, that uh, also... Uh, attacks to physical infrastructure is much more hot topic and in a way uh, communication platforms are also part of it right uh, so so 5g has been also like a specific uh, research object in our in our agenda and we are trying to uh, parallel to doing real uh, down to nitty gritty details uh, research on 5g technology as such then uh, we try to embed this to our exercises and via that, uh, raise the broader awareness, etc. Now, uh, it was interesting to listen to the customer on my left hand and, uh, and recognize that the uh, fact like the connectivity needs to be secure was not mentioned because it's obvious that it's, it's uh, all the green boxes are secure, but they are also expensive. So, so in a way, 5G is a pretty attractive uh, thing, uh, to say simple. Uh, it uh, can be relatively cheap, it can be very secure if configured right, it can uh, be, enable you this and that. Now, uh, the complexity from our perspective is that to really secure this uh, security of the setup of the establishment is uh, quite a complex jo- job and it's not uh, harmonized across the allies either. It's, uh, it's uh, everybody's doing their own way as the technology develops. So at some point we will find ourselves that we are one has gone a little bit that way, another gun has has gone a little bit of that way of implementation, and then we need to harmonize at some point in order to collaborate. As we just mentioned, that at some point uh, maybe multiple country allies need to uh, collaborate at, at one physical location, and they need to use a similar uh, establishment. So now 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 comes the complexity of it: how to provide that in a cost-efficient, widely available, 24-7 available manner. Absolutely, and that's why we have the exercises, that's why we have the tests, whether it's the testing in the, in the 5G test ground or your big exercise that you're doing the locked shields where all the allies and partners, uh, both uh, civil military, but also the private sector is involved from what I understand, right? Right. Okay. So, so for me, the takeaway is really that indeed we need this sort of talking to each other as a community approach on understanding the missions that we are in, while the private sector, of course, has a commercial interest, but in the same time, the wider security and defense uh, mission for, for the society. But in the same time, making sure that within that, we are able uh, to create the, the understanding, speak the same language, and be open also about the threats, challenges, and problems, and what are the best solutions, how to, to avoid it. So can especially I look at the commercial actors, are, can you be open among yourselves? Can you share the solution finding? Can you share the best practices uh, among yourselves in a reliable, uh, friendly, <laughs> allied way? If I, if I may start uh, with this. So I think uh, one of the great assets of 5G, of course, is the interoperability that I think uh, is one of the key requirements of the end customer, the military, because I think it's clear for everybody that the the battle uh, will have to be conducted in, in coalition. So now it's really important that when you bring a technology, you, you enable this interoperability. And in that sense, the role of NATO, ACT in particular, that you mentioned earlier, Allied Common Transformation, is key because they are setting the standards, the STANAG, the way to interoperate. <coughs> and I think as industry, 
we are uh, very pleased to be engaged by NATO through the various tools uh, that they have to discuss with the industry to, to also enable 5G to be part of those standards. And for example, next week, there is exactly such a research specialist meeting uh, from the NATO Science and Technology Organization comparing the NATO standards with the way the wireless uh, civil uh, commercial industry is bringing the standard because there is a need to cross-learn. So definitely, I think as an industry, we are really uh, engaging and tools like what the NATO ACT is doing, tools like the uh, what the European Defence Fund is doing, and for example, the 5G compad I was alluding to earlier, are really enabling a blueprint across European Union MODs uh, created as an industry with the ecosystem, of course, under the confidentiality requirements of defence, but which will guarantee this interoperability. Probably, uh, probably as an example to the uh, friendliness, I could give you an example that uh, during this ACT uh, exercise, we're having the Nokia and Ericsson. ACT is Allied Command Transformation that is responsible for the yeah. future warfare, how NATO sees and fights future. So in our testbed in Adagi, the Ericsson and Nokia sits under one roof, quite friendly. So so that's, that's, that's an, a good example. <laughs> Of cooperation, so, so yeah, and I I, I do believe that that uh, many more examples like um, coalition warrior interoperability ex exercise being conducted every year, where for alignment of command control and interoperability of command control systems, just as well, like we also will participate again in the lock shields. I think the the tradition was in the NATO NATO circles actually to cooperate and share information is is uh, is very high and, and that also of course brings some hope that there will be some useful learnings for everybody mm, absolutely but like you like you told me about the latvian prime ministers that went to other base and became a soldier well, why don't you tell yourself the, the practical application you know, practical application yes so, so if the prime minister arrives and is immersing himself in the fantasy of being a soldier so he actually took the augmented reality solution actually very able to fix uh, the super secretive and super cool SATCOM vehicle because of, of the usage. So this, this is a, a, a practical example how you you can bring down the cost and bring up the, the, the speed of complex maintenance function using this new technology. Very good. Janis? And well, if I may, I think we shouldn't uh, oversimplify again uh, this compat uh, compatibility issue in, or interconnectivity because uh, there's a different levels of that. One level, of course, is uh, to link everybody on one network, and of course, 5G will provide uh, will be good base for that. That's uh, they and it will reduce the costs. But again, when we go higher up to uh, you know uh, crypto or classific uh, classified uh, networks, of course, uh, and this is uh, 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 I think it's not uh, secret that this now is the biggest issue uh, among allies how to connect. Uh, each other uh, with current uh, uh, communication systems. But once you go up uh, higher uh, classification, or uh, that will mean the completely different system, completely different issues. The, the issue whether you share your uh, crypto information, whether you share keys, and that is, uh, uh, you know, that is uh, again national decision who is share the uh, classified information or classified networks with whom. Absolutely, and and again, the battle group in Adagi has been testing all of that, which is which is quite remarkable. That's why so many allies are there, and that's why they find it so enriching in a very practical sense. But it's the most difficult issue to connect everybody. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But that's what would happen in a real battle. You would have to be interconnected. There is no other way. Um, uh, Henrik, uh, what what can you share with the with the other commercial actors? Can you realize that in a situation there is there is a team approach? Yeah. So I think I mean as mentioned before, I think you know so standardization is a very good vehicle, right? Because ultimately there's a lot of discussions on the technical level as to what is the best way of implementing this kind of interface, and ultimately it's a lot about interoperability on different levels, right? So so. You know, there's an interoperability between like typically a core network and a radio network. If you go into more opening up the radio network as as in open RAN, there is interoperability on different layers in the software stack as well as, you know, between radio units and, and, and the uh, baseband unit and so on as well, right? And, and the management system. So there's a lot of those. And I think, you know, I don't think it's an industry problem in itself. I think to your point, it's probably, you know, when it comes to crypto and some, 
you know, how, how is that decided between the members and, uh, and, you know, is it possible to agree on, on one way of doing it? As an industry, it's good to have an agreed way of doing it and one way of doing it that makes life easier in a sense. We will still have our areas of competition, you know, how we actually implement that in the most efficient way and so forth. That we will still keep to ourselves, right? That's Competition, long live the competition. All right, I will open uh, the floor now to the questions to the audience here and online. Do we have any questions after these intro statements? Okay, I'm blinded by the light. Yes, so we have a question here. So please. Microphone uh, Mike, will be brought to you. Know? And please do raise your hand so we see the next person who wants to ask a question. Please do introduce yourselves and what's your question? Silke Holtman, PwC. So my question is about the interoperability. I don't think that the API interoperability on a technical level will pose the challenges. I think the challenges will come more from the different usage of the network. So some countries will go with a private network approach for their military and defense. Others will go for slicing in a public network. And the third country might just issue group subscriptions as critical mission, mission critical services. So, and these need to be harmonized somehow across the uh, NATO members because else you cannot have a joint activity. And you might not want to use the roaming network so because everybody's connected to the roaming network, including the foes, the potential ones. So, is there some sort of clear picture which of those roads might be preferable? I can take that maybe. Sure. Because that's, uh, that's a very good question and... Uh, mm. It's uh, in our heads parallel to the practical research activities we do as well. Uh, there seems to be quite obvious that there will be no NATO guideline that, uh, friends, uh, uh, this is the road we take and, and follow that. So what it will uh, be is exactly as described previously that there will be some sort of uh, different tracks here and there. Uh, we are actually seeing on ourselves also uh, uh, opportunity and, uh, and uh, responsibility at the same time that maybe we, we are able in a couple of now maybe one, two years time to set, establish some example cases that uh, this way you could do it and solve it or this that way and these are the pros and cons of these opportunities and then allies can look at the material we have published or the research we have done and to their um, uh, conclusions from there. So that's one potential way of, of how we also see our value in this, uh, in this landscape. Well, if I may, I, uh, I'm a practitioner, I'm not an academician, therefore I usually uh, more tended to uh, look from the practical side and what is possible and what not. Of course, uh, it's like uh, usually we, uh, everybody say, you know, you Baltic countries have to have joint procurements and we never can be able to achieve joint procurements. Uh, um, very rarely, uh, I am lying. Uh, but uh, actually, this is the same. With, uh, of course, we can say that's fine with, uh, you know, uh, we would prefer to uh, uh, standardize and agree on one standard, but it, I, I'm afraid uh, that uh, that is very difficult to achieve because uh, every country actually measures against their own national needs. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, uh, I would say there's also a complete, uh, different levels of uh, where you should connect. Uh, for example, if you uh, come as a unit here, of course, you would connect to the probably to the joint network on, on unit level, but then there is uh, the uh, tactical networks can be, I don't know, on a company or uh, even at battalion or squad level, not on battalion level, but then uh, that's, uh, uh, you can uh, try to agree, but I, you know, from uh, from the, uh, my own experience, I think that is very difficult to be achieved uh, because it goes together with, uh, uh, with crypto information. It's not the only, uh, you know, how you, uh, you know, that you want to connect each other. That is not how it works. You have to basically set up whole uh, architecture of communication which goes from the, the bottom to the top and there is a lot of classified information uh, and, and many other things uh, which involve. Therefore, yes, it would be in theory a good thing to harmonize everything, but in practice I would say it's barely impossible. Just uh, one remark more here uh, uh, related to what you say. Uh, the, the, I don't want to go down deep to details, but it's not black and white either, so we can't just say that let's follow the same standard and then it's done. 
it's not that easy working daily in standards uh, and trying to focus on interoperability. There's so many details still there. Mm. Have there been any exercises in particular, whether locked shields or others, uh, in your experience, and, and this is across the panel, where lessons learned have actually shown how we can advance interoperability in a very practical way? Not from exercises, no. as far as I know, but uh, research, yes, in different uh, domains. Okay. Uh, Philippe and then Ingmar. So, briefly, I will just uh, recall that at the NATO level, they are really driving this coalition interoperability. This is a, their everyday job, I would say, to enable this to, to reach the goal of zero-day provisioning. So, I think they have this federation mission networking uh, approach where they, they are driving this mm -hmm. agenda. So, they they, and, uh, they will embrace 5G there. And uh, talking about exercise, there is, of course, this one, but there is this coalition warrior interoperability exercise that is happening every year and where it is on the website there, so we can mention it. 5G was already put, put there in use, and I think other players are, are contributing more. So this is coming, this is going to be standardized, and I think uh, it will happen. Mm -hmm. That was exactly the point I was going to make, that the coalition warrior interoperability exercise is the one probably, and the focus uh, mostly here is of, of interoperability of command control systems. So in some sense, it probably sounds very simple, but in some sense it doesn't matter which network do you use. So the ultimate thing is your, are your command control systems compatible? So can you exchange the, the data, whatever the way the data has been brought in? So this has been exercised uh, every year and will happen next year and again and again. This has been done. This has been done constantly. And the other side of this story, we are, of course, obviously talking about the security and cybersecurity and safety. Then again, there is the Ukrainian experience which a little bit highlights what Yanis was mentioning at the very beginning about simple and affordable. So at some point, if your soldiers have no connectivity at all, that's much worse than being secure or not secure. So, so sometimes having unsecured phone call maybe is uh, better or, and, and, and coordinate. So we've seen Ukrainians use Discord chats for command and control. So it's, it's uh, um, so. NATO is not not used to talk about usability, so we only talk about security. We fetishize security, which is cool at the peacetime, but uh, at the wartime, practical aspects come into play. So we have to balance the usability and security somehow. Mm -hmm. I think this is a very relevant point, exactly as lessons learned from Ukraine show as well, that at some point whatever works does the job. So, so I guess in that uh, domain we can also, as uh, defence forces, be better that we have our plans in our back pocket that in case you only have the very worst options, then what's affordable for what use case. And then maybe some over-the-top cryptography, always easy to attach on top, something like that. Absolutely. Um, audience? So, do we have any questions from the audience? There is a question right there. Excellent. Hello, my name is Anatoly Golovkoy. I'm the advisor on the cybersecurity to the Prime Minister of Moldova. Actually, I have two questions, and they are on two levels, on the application level and on, uh, let's say, on the physical layer. Uh, since the time of blue boxes, we forgot the lesson learned, and in IMS architecture, we exposed all the signaling in Volte and other things, we exposed it directly to the end user. And honestly, I don't see how it's helped to the um, uh, cybersecurity of the voice and multimedia networks over the 4G and 5G. Is there any research or anyone who is from IT world or internet world Coming in uh, in telco world, addressing these uh, IMS um, uh, security issues they may occur. It's one question, and the second question is um, how much of effort it's put on uh, having multiple um, uh, cryptography on the radio interface because now usually is the public network who is choosing or who is giving with the cryptography to be used to encrypt the radio interface. And when we are talking about interoperability or roaming between networks, we don't have much control, for example, as a state over the private public network uh, on the encryption of the radio interface. And as I know uh, from the architecture of 3GPP, we put a lot of trust just in the encryption of the radio interface and beside the base station, everything is encrypted and untrusted. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, 
I can try to cover the first one if somebody yeah, takes the sure. radio one. So let's split the question. So I guess uh, the current networks with their uh, downsides, as you described, for, inst for, uh, for example, but there's others as well, I think you can't uh, jump over your shadow. It's there, the installed base is there, the technology and uh, the implementations, everything is there. So basically, uh, for the defense purposes, you need to uh, justify it as it is with its uh, pros and cons and then place it into the right uh, place where you, where you then uh, call it uh, uh, right to use, use this environment or this platform. So, 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 and, 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 uh, but from another angle, it's a known fact that the risks and the transparency is there and it's not that secure uh, in, in the from this perspective you, you highlighted. So, so, for instance, our research from this factor uh, is uh, purely forward-looking and based on the standalone architecture only, where, where, where authentication of devices, all that is done in a pretty different way, uh, all the different network functions involved, etc. Thank you. Philip, uh, maybe uh, something? No? So, and for the radio uh, point, so first, for example, at Nokia, we, we put a lot of effort on quantum safe networking. So we do that for the, our IP and optics backbone, but also on the radio, as an example, this summer at 3GPP, we pushed a work item which um, prepare for uh, 256 uh, algorithm, bits algorithm on the radio air interface to prepare for this quantum safe radio encryption. So uh, again, as you can see, we talk a lot about standard and standard uh, and we, uh, the great thing with 5G and 3GPP is that standards are unreached every, every 18 month cycle. So this is an example on the way we can continue to, to make the, the technology uh, reach the next level of security as per the need uh, from the from the field. So, and then in terms of uh, uh, you said radio and what's next. I mean, everything is in the standard. So, if we mandate that some functions or some features which are sometimes optional in the standard become uh, mandated to be used, that's exactly the role of the standardization. For example, at NATO to define out of this huge list of capabilities of 5G what is really mandatory to meet the military uh, expectations. Very good. Yeah, maybe I can comment on that too. So, so, yeah, to your point, right, so there's work being done in the standard on the radio interface and so on. But uh, it also depends a little bit on what you want to send, right? Because obviously if you're sending a video stream, you can, you know, that video stream in itself can be encrypted, right? Mm -hmm. so, so you have different layers, obviously, of, of encryption, right? So, so that is something uh, that comes down again then to the device mm -hmm. and adjustments. Mm -hmm. That's device. a good point. Very good point, actually. No. All right. if, I may, if I may, I think that uh, you know everything, and it was mentioned already. It's about everything is about uh, managing your risks, uh, uh, and of course, uh, nobody would put uh, the most secure uh, encrypted uh, communication uh, system on uh, individual soldier on a, on a squad level because that's uh, that is uh, you know information that is there. It's uh, on time, uh, and it's important to pass that information. You uh, you you don't need to uh, because after one minute, it will be you know the information information will be already old. Uh, but of course, it's completely different on, 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 on high levels, on, on, on brigade or, or upper levels. Uh, and then you start to think what is, uh, was it, how do you actually balance the risks, uh, uh, which communication you use uh, actually to pass information, uh, whether you need to crypt it or not. And that's, uh, yeah, that is, uh, you know, it's, it's not so straightforward. Uh, it's very complicated, actually, to have this uh, whole communication system. Just a very quick comment here, again, that the, the military communication do not live without uh, command control system. So the ultimate uh, angle is, or aim, is to kill voice communication as much as possible. So you just don't talk. You only, you are, you are, you are on air just with little blimps of data in the command control system. So you don't, which is also practical from the radio safety. So if you talk and you, if you bring your message over the voice, it just takes much more time and you are much more uh, visible. Your footprint is much more be visible. So killing voice communication is the first thing you should probably do. Hmm. That's a good takeaway. All right, uh, we have formally two minutes, but I will take the liberty to go a little bit over time because I do want to touch the subject of lessons learned from Ukraine, from Russia's war in Ukraine, both the, the capabilities that Russia has shown in electronic warfare and how Ukrainians are dealing with that. Uh, and again, this is a public discussion, we won't go into details, but the agility, the innovations, the can-do attitudes, the mindset 
of, of uh, doing that right there on the battlefield within a short time uh, frame to be able to continue warfighting and, and understanding both the data, uh, the metadata that is coming in and, and being able to respond is something probably one uh, lesson learned that we all both on the private and public sector should take into account. Um, resilience of, of uh, Ukrainians and Ukrainian systems and, and everything. And I know that Ingmar's point is resilience is autonomy, that autonomy is resilience. And, and maybe you can say a few words on that. The networks, uh, where do we keep our clouds? How do we uh, make them uh, resilient and accessible? And, and you already mentioned the uh, utilization and security, what is, what is the balance there. Um, so can you please add some more points? Ingmar, let's go one by one. Yeah. So... Janis, you lost. You will do the strategic point. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, obviously, I think everybody can, can, uh, can see that today, of course, the Ukraine is an absolute top-notch place where everything happens and all the things are being de facto tested in the real life and of course we can see enormous effort of Ukrainian nation and their resilience is uh, amazing so what I what we can tell from our we've had a lot of discussion with our Ukrainian counterparts so probably yes three things and one thing is clearly quite a lot discussed here today that, that there has to be a balance between usability and security pretty much covered here today is that uh, we are little bit too much on the security side so so you have to make communication affordable to all the soldiers as Janis mentioned this is also a, a clear message from Ukraine the other thing is is autonomy uh, the thing Ukrainians do in restoring the base so they have like 4,000 base stations have been damaged so far in Ukraine so they're doing amazing job actually re restoring those so they're I mean very 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 basic things uh, come in the top of the list so one thing is your transport network, you, you can probably see the pictures with a little Starlink dish uh, placed on the top of the uh, base station tower today. So that's, that's the way how you work around the uh, broken fiber or broken transport network networks as well as, as means of electricity supply and all the generators and diesel and, and so on and so forth. This is the way if you have no electricity, no fiber, you, 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 you can still you, you can still get the base and the, op, the operations working. So, I mean, for us, I mean, building out new base station probably takes a year or two. For them, it, it, restoring the base station, you know, maybe takes a week. So that's a completely different thinking. Mm. And, and then we should probably learn from this. And uh, yeah, and last point is probably virtualization. These days, a lot of customers and partners, they, they let's say, go for cloud uh, strategies, but they like to talk about on-premises and, and in-country and, and so on and so forth as, as that would mean um, higher levels of security and safety and probably Ukraine example of course clearly showed that um, locating your critical data in some particular physical place is probably a very bad idea. So, so that makes them ultimately vulnerable. So, so actually go, going for true virtualization is probably the way to go to actually achieve more, secu more security. Okay, very good, thank you very much. So, so very briefly, I would echo uh, the lessons expressed by the Ministry of Defense here. So I think the, the one of the learning is the transparency of the battlefield. I think it's, it's really uh, like every side is, is seeing nearly everything. So I think the camouflage uh, is a very important point and we, we express it also like hiding in plain sight. So using mm -hmm. 4G or 5G is enabling you to communicate, but, but also to, to, to hide compared to a military waveform, which is immediately identified that this is, of course, a soldier. So the second point probably is also the, the mass, I would say, effect on the, the fact that uh, 5G is, is a huge ecosystem, a huge supply chain. I think uh, it enables affordability and, mm -hmm. and innovation. And I also maybe to close there, it is a, the life cycle of innovating. The 5G is a platform which is really enabling uh, the, the ecosystem to bring a lot of innovation very quickly. Very good. Um, uh, Henrik. Yes. Yeah, so I think some of the things that have been mentioned here, but obviously, so, so what, what we see is obviously that existing infrastructure is sensitive to attack, right? So it, it can be destroyed and you need ways of, of handling that. So I think it's important in preparing to prepare 
to have communication on different levels and, and building redundancy and resilience in that way. So you will have the existing public network as one layer. You will probably have some easy to deploy, quick to deploy tactical bubbles that you can uh, move easily. Um, and you may also want to consider, you know, satellite communication to... to yeah, we didn't touch much about it, but uh, but indeed that's uh, something both at the lower orbit and, and a yeah. higher level, which is... And, and then it becomes important how you make that interwork, right? So, yeah. so there are, there, there's uh, some interworking functions defined in 3DPP and, and you, you want to decide, you know, how do you do that? So you use some functions like that, you may have... Uh, one core network or you may have several core networks that ultimately will connect mm -hmm. them to your, your That would be a discussion of its own, huh? Eh? <laughs> that could be a discussion of its own. It could, indeed. It could indeed. Very interesting. All right, uh, Mali. The question uh, deserves uh, its own slot. Uh, many important things are already said. Uh, if I, sh I should try to give a little bit of different uh, angle to uh, this question here in this forum. Uh, we are currently working um, uh, 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 in a follow-up um, study uh, where we take the current lessons learned uh, from Ukraine as a basis and then on top of that we try to put the perspective that, okay, uh, following to this uh, lessons learned, how should we develop our networks further from here, including the, what the 5G technology brings in, like uh, beamforming antennas, etc., etc. But just an example which wasn't yet mentioned, the importance of silence in the field. So you need to go there, you need to switch everything out at some point, because otherwise you're a target. So all that... Uh, <laughs> Always we have to take everything for granted that it will work the same way as it uh, does in Ukraine currently. And, uh, but I think that when it comes to mobile communication, we saw basically not many um, mobile towers were destroyed uh, intentionally uh, because Russians were using the same communication uh, uh, during the war. But uh, I, from uh, our perspective, I think uh, uh, one thing is, of course, military communication, uh, but the other thing that is important when it, especially you talk about the defense of your own country, not somewhere else, uh, uh, than how the rest of uh, your economy will work. Because uh, that is probably, you know, uh, that's what we recognize, recognize that uh, basically one thing, you know, army will not be able to fight uh, in, in some kind of uh, uh, autonomous space. They, you will still need a lot of economy supplying uh, food, uh, uh, basically fuel, banks working. And that, I think, what we've been uh, devoting a lot of attention, how to ensure that basically all those critical services are provided uh, for the society. And that is probably even much more difficult issue, uh, because if your, uh, your people will not be able to get money from banks, I get, uh, you, we will lose the uh, war probably in a uh, few days because there was simply disappointment uh, of that. And Preparations, exercising, <laughs> scenarios and, and being challenged constantly, constantly by our private sector and out of government uh, part of thinking. Thank you so much, all the panelists. A round of applause.